Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Alrighty, I think we got all the kids going in the right direction and filtered out the adults who tried to make their escape, so I think we're, think we're good here. Uh, if, uh, if you're new here this morning, I want to welcome you here. My name's Matt, one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to hang out for the next few minutes together as we look at uh, Scripture, at God's Word together, uh, but I'm also here to serve you however I can, so let me know how I can do that. Um, just to make sure everybody's kind of aware of stuff, our kids kind of register before the service, come in here for the beginning part, then head on upstairs. Got uh, great people waiting for them upstairs, and they're going to have a great time together. Uh, maybe you've got uh, littles, uh, so they're not quite ready for the big run parade. Uh, we do have uh, great folks in our downtown here, too, and that's for kind of birth uh, through, I think, four years old. Um, and so we've got people over here if you'd like to leave your kids with them. Uh, we're also really friendly to kids hanging out with you. And so stay in here. We understand that means some wiggles and some noises, and that just comes with being family together. Um, and so if, uh, your kids are more than welcome in here. Um, maybe that feels a little bit awkward to you at some point. We've got a family room out here. Just check in with our connection team, and they'll show you the way. And uh, you can watch the service and uh, hang out there with your kids with a little bit of extra space if that feels better for you. All right? So we're here to serve you, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. New and not so new. It's good to be together. We survived the first storm of 2024, so that's good, right? And uh, here we are. Uh, we are talking about gratitude. Not, gra- not gratitude, generosity, the other G word. We're talking about generosity, and I am feeling gratitude. That's where that one came from. Uh, as I look and see all the ways that you as a church body have exercised generosity. Just some real specific ways as we got towards the end of the year, uh, 2023, way back then, uh, I had put out just uh, made you aware of where we were at financially and uh, where, as things were going, was going to be a really tight finish to the year, leaving a pretty significant gap uh, between what's being spent and what's coming in uh, through your giving and just held that out for you to pray and explain Lord, what God would want you to do, and God stirred in really significant ways. That gap is all but closed. Like it's it's remarkable. Like a gap of almost a hundred and fifty thousand to about six thousand uh, as we closed out the end of the year, which is incredible. Yeah, so we, uh, we are filled with gratitude for God's, uh, God's generosity expressed through you. We saw that at the end of the year through the giving to the um, Friends of Forgotten Children and the incredible giving that you did for them as we went through the Advent season. So thank you uh, for that. Um, it, is, it is remarkable to be a part of a body that exercises generosity in so many significant and profound ways. Uh, so I am filled with gratitude, uh, the other G word. Um, coming up in just a couple of weeks, we've got another opportunity to express our generosity through biblical hospitality. Uh, there are going to be some families who otherwise would be homeless who will be spending the week uh, overnights in our building. Uh, we partner with other uh, churches and faith communities in our community to make sure that they've got a place that they can stay. It's a program called Family Promise. And so coming up, beginning the week of the 28th, we're going to be hosting uh, some families here in our building. And there's lots of different 
different ways to do that from uh, we need people to actually spend the night overnight um, with them. Uh, you're in your own space and it's, it's a safe environment for that, but it's still being overnight. We need people to host them for some, some meals while they're here, people to bring in some meals while they're here and some gas cards and different things like that. And so uh, if you check out our website under what's happening, you will find the link where you can sign up to be a part of uh, our expression of love and generosity to the families that God is bringing our way through Family Promise. Okay, so go ahead and check that out. Go to centerpointnh.org, look under what's happening, and you'll see more of a description of Family Promise and the link to the little sign-up genius there. Um, uh, Sherry and Shannon do a great job leading the charge for us and setting the table for us to be expressions of God's love and his generosity in the lives of uh, families in our community. So looking forward to that as well. And I know you always step up and it's pretty amazing to see. Before we jump into our uh, scripture teaching this morning, I'd love to just pray for us. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your generosity. Uh, We look at the world that you have made, uh, your creativity, your beauty, your abundance. It is just stunning. And so we thank you and we praise you for your generosity. And you have poured out your grace and your love in abundance in our lives. And we thank you for that as well. And we pray, God, that as we look at your word today, these words that have been inspired by your spirit, we ask, God, that you would stir in our hearts, that you would awaken us to this new life that you call us into. So I pray that you would help the words of Jesus to come alive to us. May that same spirit that inspired them uh, work in us today as we receive them. We pray, Father, that by the power of your spirit, you would give us eyes to see uh, what we don't normally see. That by the power of your spirit, you would give us ears to hear what we have so often been deaf to. But let us hear as you teach us. And Father, we pray that you would make our hearts soft and pliable in your care that our hearts would be um, good soil, uh, receiving the seed of your word, growing roots and bearing fruit for our good and your glory. Do that work in us today. And we're excited to see how you're going to do it and what you're going to awaken us to. So we offer you ourselves in humility and in uh, dependence uh, on you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're going to look in uh, the New Testament book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 today, as we continue in this uh, series on generosity. Last week we looked at the generosity of God as he has expressed that in creation, particularly how he interacted, uh, created and interacted with humanity in the garden back in Genesis 2. And today we're listening to the words of Jesus. We find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, uh, in the middle of what we've come to know as the Sermon on the Mount. These, uh, th- this teaching of Jesus that is uh, uh, kind of his invitation to, his articulation of life in the kingdom of God. And so it starts in Matthew chapter 5, goes through, it covers Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So we find ourselves in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus teaches about a wide variety of things all woven together in this theme of life in the kingdom of God. And so we're going to read a portion of that today. So we're beginning in uh, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. 
So I will read for us. You follow along. You can follow along the screens and your paper Bible on your phone, whatever you need to. Uh, but feel free to follow along as I read out loud. Verse 25, Jesus is teaching. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you little faith? So do not worry, saying, what should we eat? Or what should we drink? Or what should we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Hmm. That's really significant, isn't it? As we hear Jesus teaching about this. Don't, don't worry. He's not trite or flippant at all about this. But he's drawing us into this reality of the kingdom. And as we live kingdom lives, as we embrace this new life that he has for us, there is a richness in the peace that he generously offers us. You see, the more we trust God's generosity, the more we become generous people who don't worry about stuff. Listen to that again. The more we trust God's generosity the more we become generous people who don't worry about stuff. Now, as Jesus is giving this uh, Sermon on the Mount, he's, um, you know, it, it's, it's significant that he's on a mountain. It, it ought to make our minds go somewhere. You might recall if we were to flip back into the story of Exodus back in the Old Testament, after God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And they kind of grumbled because they didn't have enough. So instead of it just being a several-week trip, it became a 40-year trip to the promised land. And so they got to walk off their attitude a little bit. And, and in that process, God was revealing himself in his covenant love for his people. And so while they were by Mount Sinai, um, God uh, visited them there. Well, and they were too afraid to meet with God there. So they just sent up their leader, Moses, to go meet with God. And so Moses goes up the mountain and there he meets with Yahweh. Imagine, he met with Yahweh himself. And in that meeting, God etched out on stone his covenant law. We know them as the Ten Commandments. And there they were, etched out by God's very finger on these tablets of stone. And in giving these to his people, what he was showing them is this is what covenant life looks like. I will be your God, you will be my people. And to be my people, this is what it looks like 
to live with me, to walk with me. I am the Lord your God. And so he's drawing them into his covenant love by showing them what this life is by giving them this law. And so when Jesus heads up a mountain and he begins to teach, those who are well-versed in the story of Israel, their minds would have gone back to that moment. There would have been something in them that stirred up enough that made them at least stop and go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. They, they even remark, it says towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that the people were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because he taught as one with authority. Like his voice, like, like how he carried himself, his demeanor, the, the weight of his words. He taught as one who has authority, not like our normal teachers. And what was his authority? Of course, Matthew is revealing to us that he is Messiah. He is God himself in the flesh. And so once again, God meets with his people on a mountain and he shows them what life with him looks like. And he shows them and invites them into his covenant love once again. This is a reshaping, a recovenanting. Jesus would even say on the night that he was betrayed, offering up his blood for a new covenant, a new way to relate with God. And so here is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, giving this new way of living, this new life. What does life look like in the kingdom of God under the authority, under the reign and rule of King Jesus? This is what he's given us. And so he gets to this piece here and he says, part of living in this kingdom life is don't worry. Don't be anxious. Can I, I just want to do a little parenthesis here, a little, a, a little pause and time out for us. When we hear words about uh, worry and anxiety, there's a number of things that will be running through our minds. For some of you, you are being treated for anxiety. Like this is something that you've lived with maybe even as long as you can remember. And you're working with somebody. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's your doctor. Um, and, and they're treating you for, for anxiety. There, there's a way that the mind works that creates that anxiety in you. And what can often happen is when we teach these passages and we look at this, those of you who are rest, wrestling with clinical anxiety can feel a ton of shame on top of you. Like, I've been trying, I've been trying to not be anxious, and I just can't shake it. I can't shake it without the help, all right? This is the little caveat here. I don't want you to receive this as shame. I don't want you to receive this as a heap of weight that's coming back on your shoulders, okay? So for those of you who might be wrestling with that, for those of you who are susceptible to experiencing that, I want you just to take a deep breath. Okay, we're not talking about the shame of those things here. Because what Jesus is doing, like Jesus is remarkable. He never like shames and heaps shame on his hearers. He draws in, he invites in. And so if we'll listen, if we'll, if we'll let, ask him to give us ears to hear, he will inv we will hear him inviting us into this different way of living. All right, And so the challenge in it, the challenge that he gives us is 
release your grip. Release your grip. And as you release your grip, you're going to experience a peace. So don't worry. Don't be anxious. All right? Because our tendency is either just to almost trivialize it, right? So I even say the, the phrase, don't worry. And a bunch of you started humming the song in your head, didn't you? You got a little rhythm going on there. Don't worry, be happy, right? right? So we almost trivialize our worry or anxiety, or we just carry such heaps of guilt and shame around it that we can't even really hear the challenge, right? So we're going to find ourselves in the grace of God and the generous grace and love of God. We're going to listen to him invite us in to this new way of living. Because at the end of the day, that's what Jesus is doing. He is inviting us into a new way of living. And the call of new life, listen, the call of new life is the invitation to not be anxious, to not worry. So it begs the question, how do we let go of this worry? How do we let go of this anxiety? I'm glad you asked. We let go of this worry and anxiety by shifting our pursuit from that which is natural to that which is anchored in Christ and his kingdom. Okay, let me kind of say that again. We release our grip, or actually even anxiety and worries grip on us, is released by shifting our pursuit from that which is natural, common sense, to that which is anchored in Christ and his kingdom. And so let's talk about this significant shift together, right? So when we think about what is natural, what is natural? It's, it's that which we've just been trained in since we were little kids. There's, there's a way to do life. Sometimes we'll even use the phrase, well, that's just common sense. There, there's, there's just a way of living that makes sense to us. And so we, we're trained in these natural ways, uh, sometimes scripture will talk about these as uh, ways of the world or ways of the flesh. Like these are some, some words that all bring us into this natural, um, the, the, this, this way of, of thinking that is natural. And so there's a natural way that we are trained to think and to process, to take in information and to engage with our world. And usually when we say the phrase common sense, it's a clue for us that it has something to do with what's natural. Because the fact of the matter is the kingdom is not common sense. The kingdom of God is not common sense. It often, most often, takes the kingdom of God and turn, or takes what's natural and turns it on its head. It's an upside down sort of world. And we see that throughout the entire narrative here. Um, of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're looking at one more place where the natural self is being turned on its head and we're being invited into something different. Uh, the words that uh, Matthew uses here is, is pagan. Um, the pagan, the Gentiles, those who aren't aware of God's movement in the kingdom uh, is what we're talking about with natural. And the kingdom life uh, is life lived under the reign and rule of God. When we see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, those are synonymous in scripture. When we see those words, when we see those phrases, and Jesus talks about it quite a bit, uh, it should clue for us, this is life under the rule and reign of God. Okay? And so that rule and reign is different 
than the rule and reign we live under in the natural self, right? And so it's this different life, this new life. Uh, one of the words that the Bible uses is eternal life that draws us into this new thing. For you see, where God reigns, where God rules, there is flourishing life. Where God rules, where God reigns, is flourishing in life. Where the natural rules and reigns, there is scarcity, the opposite of flourishing, right? And so Jesus is drawing us into this flourishing life under his rule and reign. And what we see is, is that this life is a life um, that is a blessing for those who are naturally left out of blessing. So Jesus kicks off this sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When the natural way to think about it is, boy, those who have a lot, they're the ones who are blessed. Like we even talk about it that way in, in, in when we talk about financial prosperity in our day, don't we? We'll, we'll say blessed instead of wealthy or prosperous, right? And so the natural way of thinking is when one has much, that's somebody who's got God's hand in them. When, one, when somebody has not, oh, that's a, that's a sign of a lack of blessing. But Jesus turns it on and said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who endure persecution because of me. Right? All these signs that naturally we look at and say, that person's on the outs. Jesus is saying, no, 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 the kingdom of God is present with you. And so here, once again, in the midst of what we grab onto, what we hold onto, Jesus is saying, listen, there's another way to live that I'm inviting you into, and it's the way of flourishing. And so how does this shift take place? We, we look at a, a number of, of shifts to move from natural into kingdom. One of those is moving from self-sufficient to being father-provided. The move from being self-sufficient to father provided. Listen to the way that Jesus even talks about this. He holds out the birds of the air, saying they don't build barns. Wouldn't that be something if you saw birds building barns in your backyard? That would be a little bit weird, right? And so there they are, tick, 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 and they got their buddies coming over. It's a barn raising, and they got the whole thing going up in the backyard. No, birds don't build barns, yet they have what they need every day. They, they have what they need. Um, the, the flowers of the field, look, they're beautiful. Haven't you, have you ever like, seen a field that was just filled with color and beauty and life and flourishing? You just went, oh, and it kind of almost takes your breath away. Oh, the beauty of those things. And yet even Solomon in all his splendor isn't as radiant and beautiful as those flowers. Oh, right? So he's drawing us into your father gives even more. Like he takes care of them, how much more you? And again, we're anchoring back into, as the story begins in Genesis, God made, the, made creation teeming with um, fish in the sea and, and teeming with animals and vegetation throughout the earth. There's this abundance in the picture of what God is doing amongst his people. And he's saying, you as humanity have been given so much, how much more the Father provides. And so part of releasing our grip and shifting it from natural to kingdom-minded is this sense of like, I have to do it. Me do. I'll do it on my own. I've got to grasp. I've got to take. If this is going to happen, I've got to make it happen. To one that releases its grip on forcing 
and embraces God's provision from self-sufficient to father provided. Another way that we see this shift is from striving to trusting, from striving to trusting. You know what it is to run after, to chase after. We've all had those moments where, where we pursue, where we grasp, where we go. That's a sign for us that can raise a flag of our own self-sufficiency. And it's an invitation to trust. Now, moving from striving to trusting is not a shift from uh, industrious to lazy, right? So some of you may have a, an inert struggle with laziness and might hear me saying this going, yes, I win. No, that's not for you, right? Jesus is going to have other things to say to you. And so it's not a shift from industrious to lazy. It's, an, it, it, it's a shift from this inner motivation, this striving and grasping to trusting and receiving. Father, your father, if you are in Christ, he is your father, is worthy of your trust because he continually shows himself as trustworthy from the very beginning. He provides in abundance. Even Jesus, just a chapter before this, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. God, give me what I need for today. And I'll ask again for tomorrow. Right? So this move from striving to trusting. It's a shift from a temporal focus to an eternal life focus. Again, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is, is one way of talking about eternal life, a flourishing life, of abundant life. And so this temporal focus is this, this hyper focus on food and clothing. And even the, the, the flowers of the field blow away. They wither, they die, or even burned up in the fire, Jesus says. So that which we so often grasp onto is temporal and fleeting. But in the trusting, in the focusing on, in the embracing this eternal life, the kingdom life, it's actually got eternity stamped in it. It's robust. It's strong foundation. It's rock, not sand. And so there's this shift from a temporal focus to an eternal life focus. And this can be true for people who um, have lavish life and abundance of, of things. It can also be true for people who um, have very little. This scarcity can stir up in our hearts. This uh, focus can stir in us whether we have much or whether we have little. And so it's for all of us to be paying attention. God is drawing all of us into this new way of life into that which lasts. Another shift is from scarcity to flourishing. From scarcity to flourishing. Scarcity is simply, I don't have what I need. I don't have it. And different people will wrestle with scarcity in different ways. For some, it's a scarcity of time. I don't have time. Like, I've got all this. Like, you talk to them and they say, Hi, and you, how you doing? Oh, Doing all right. I need another 24 hours in this day. 
Right? I've said that even in my own, in my own life at times. Right? I, just, I just need more time. We can feel that scarcity of time, a scarcity of energy. Oh, I don't have it in me. Right? Maybe it's the boss or somebody that works for you and they just drain you. You're like, I don't have what I need. Oh, scarcity of energy. Um, you know, scarcity. You might remember this. It's, it's been a few years now, so we've got a little bit of it in our rear view mirror. But the great... Uh, toilet paper scarcity of 2020. You remember that? How crazy was that? Toilet, did you ever think we would be brought to our knees by toilet paper and the absence of toilet paper? People selling toilet paper on the black market? You know, people getting away, like the, the, the trench coat, you know, in the alley, like, buddy, you need some toilet paper? I got some for you. 10 bucks, 10 bucks, I'll set you out. Right? So we remember all this stuff. And I, I remember all this stuff. Like we would, we would go look at it and it, the sign said, um, only buy one packet. Some of you, I won't make you raise your hands. So some of you like bought your packet. You're like, I'm obeying the rules. I'm doing this. And then you went right back in and you got your other one. So what you, you took it as buy one at a time, right? Or you went in as a family of five and say, don't talk to each other. Pretend you don't know each other, but everybody take one pack and go to checkout. Here's your $10, right? So we all managed this. So like, this was like a, a group sense of scarcity. Like we don't have enough. And here's what's crazy about that. Our attic was filled with toilet paper. Like in time, like we had about three months supply of toilet paper going on here, but there was still this sense of like, every time I went to the store, got to buy more toilet paper just in case. And even now, it's how many years later? It's four years later. Even now, I walk through the, the paper goods at Walmart. I'm going, I might need to stock up a little bit. Like I'm just, right? So it, like scarcity is this thing that lives in us. It really doesn't even have to do with what's in your bank account, what's, what's true. But scarcity is this sense inside of us, this fearful sense, I don't have enough. But when we're living in the kingdom, when we embrace trusting the Father, when we rest in his love for us and his abundance and his generosity, when we trust his generosity, we release our grip and scarcity doesn't hold us as fast because we understand that God is a God of abundance. He's a God of flourishing goodness. And God's desire for his people is flourishing life. We may not dictate exactly what that looks like, but his out of his love for us and out of his abundance, out of his generosity. His invitation is to a life of flourishing. Flourishing. Think about that with your life. What would your life look like if it was flourishing? Oh, doesn't that seem good? It should. It is good. That in Christ, there is God's abundance for our flourishing. And then the shift from worry to peace. And it shows itself up several times throughout this whole passage that we read together. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Stop worrying. Why can you stop worrying? Because God is a God of abundance. He is a generous God. And the more we trust God's generosity, the more we become generous people who don't worry about stuff. And in the absence of worry, there is peace. Could anybody use more peace in their life these days? Yeah. 
There is a life that God invites us into. We're part of the fruit. It's not the only fruit of this life. But one of the fruits of this life through his spirit is peace. When we release our grip on that which we hold to so fast. Do you see, we, we hold to it because it does something for us. We, we long for security. And so we grasp for the things that we think will give us security. We long for love and belonging. And so we grasp onto the things or the people that we think will give us love and belonging. We want pleasure, right? Pleasure. Oh, it feels so good, right? And so we grasp on to that which we think will give us pleasure. And the very act of this striving, this very act of pursuing and self-sufficiency, this very act on grabbing onto things that won't last anyway can foster in us a fear of scarcity. And this is where worry comes in and holds us fast. And so Jesus, at the end of his teaching here, he shows us the way. What does it look like to release our grip on these things? What does it look like to make this shift from the natural into the kingdom? He says this, look at verse 33 again. But seek first, this is a good like underlined circle passage for you, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will come to you as well. So he says, seek first his kingdom. This is not like um, hide and seek or peekaboo. Like, that's not what Jesus is saying. Like, play peekaboo with the kingdom and like, maybe we'll find it, maybe we don't. This, this, this word of seek is this, um, it, it, it speaks of pursuit, attaining, of, um, of, of, of moving towards. So, so to seek the kingdom is to, to move towards it, to pursue it. To be focused on this, right? But seek first. Seek first his kingdom. This isn't just about um, a priority. Like this, this language even of first, it's the best translation that we got there, but this language of first will hold out um, a, singular, a singular focus, a singular aim or goal. And so to seek first his kingdom it definitely isn't like, hey, I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm going to dabble with the kingdom, Jesus. I'm going to do a little bit of what you said, right? As long as you make this better for me. Because I've got what I want over. Don't we sometimes do that? Like, Jesus, I've got my whole life here. I just need you to make my life a little bit better. Like, I've got the package. Don't mess with it. But here's the problem. Jesus always messes with the package. <laughs> shakes it up a little bit, turns it upside down, right? Because he doesn't want to grow our dependence on the thing that we grasp onto. He is continually helping us release our grip from that, that we might cling more fully to him. For he wants us to be solely focused and dependent on him, to live our lives with our soul purpose and orientation of our heart to be this kingdom and his righteousness. It sounds a little bit like, sure, Matt, pastor, go get it, buddy. But the rest of us have got life to live, right? And, and it is, it, like, this is hard. 
you go to work and every impulse in your work probably pulls you back into this natural place, right? You've got bosses, you've got numbers, you've got uh, uh, stockholders who are calling you into this. If you don't pursue work and work hard, then you don't eat. You own your own business. If it doesn't get done, you don't get to just wake up on Monday and go, hmm, we'll see. I wonder what today might be. Like you've got expectations on your Monday that are already laid out for you. And so I can see why the temptation would be to write it off. Maybe that works for a pastor. Maybe that works for Jesus, but, but it doesn't work for me. Listen in, listen, listen. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Those two things are synonymous, right? His kingdom, where his rule and reign is. His righteousness, where we live by his law, right? We saw this in the old covenant on the mountain. I am your God, you are my people, right? Drawn in the covenant law. We're seeing Jesus, God in the flesh, bringing the same thing, creating for himself a new people with a new covenant relationship. This is what's being brought together here. A new way of living. What, is God, what, what does he say his righteousness is? Not the checklist. He fulfilled all of that. What is, his, what, what is it like to live in his righteousness? To love God and to love one's neighbor, right? So, that's, so seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. To seek first, like to, to put my purpose, my aim, my goal is that whatever I set my hands to, whatever I set my mind to, whatever I pursue with my body, that its pursuit would be first and foremost the pursuit of the kingdom of God's rule and God's reign. And so you've got expectations waiting for you on Monday morning. Fantastic. Lean into those. Not out of fear of scarcity, not out of fear of control or the longing to control, but lean into those because this is where the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right, that's wherever Jesus went and he sent his disciples out when he commissioned them to go out. He said, wherever you go, proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. Wherever you go, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so with eyes to see and ears to hear, we are open to saying, God, in the midst of this, in the midst of my work, in the midst of my school, in the midst of my uh, parenting, in the midst of my recreation, in the midst of my retirement, God, my time is not mine, it is yours. What do you want this to look like today? And the overarching theme he tells you is, well, love me with all you got and love the people around you. Oh, but so-and-so's a real turd. Well, love them anyway. And this person's really mean to me. Well, love your enemies and forgive those who persecute you, right? Jesus is showing us the way of the kingdom. And so it's this reorientation, this radical reorientation of our lives, if you're listening to this and going, woof, then you're probably hearing it right. But if you're hearing this and going, man, that's too much, I can't do it, then you're, then you're missing just a little bit of something here. Because this isn't about what you do in your own strength. This is about what we do as we trust and rest in God's love for us. So this is a life of flourishing and abundance that flows out of resting and trusting, not grasping and striving. And so Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
And the rest of the stuff will order itself. The rest of itself will come along. The rest of what you need. Your father knows what you need. It's okay to ask him, but he knows. He knows what you need. And like Jesus taught us to pray. Father in heaven, right? give us this day our daily bread. To begin to begin our days with this prayer that just says, God, I know you know what I need. I have no idea what this day holds. I know it's in my planner, but I don't know what's really going to happen. You do. Will you give me what I need for today? For some, it's God, I need food and I'm not sure where it's going to come from. For others, it's God, I need wisdom and I have no idea where it's going to come from. God, my schedule is packed. I need energy and I'm not sure where it's going to come from. Will you give me what I need for today? Just for today. And tomorrow I'll ask again. See, that's built into it. Give us this day our daily bread. He wants you to ask again tomorrow. He's not troubled by your asking. He's delighted by your asking. Why? Because he's building into it our loving, trusting dependence on him above all else. Yeah, but I want to do it on my own. There we go. <laughs> right? That, isn't that the kicker? But I want to do it on my own. I want to do it. You're in good company. You're in the company of all of humanity since the beginning of time. Who has just wanted to do it on their own. But you're also in the company of the God who says, oh, I love you too much to just let you do it on your own. And out of my love for you, I see you. I'm with you. I'm walking with you. And I will provide for you precisely what you need. And I will provide what others need through you. The more we trust God's generosity, the more we trust God's generosity, the more we become generous people, peaceful people, non-anxious people, who don't worry about stuff and worry and anxiety releases its grip on us. That you, that we might walk in freedom. Let me pray. Jesus, woof. Like I, um, every step along the way through this sermon in Matthew, I'm challenged, I'm corrected but my eyes are open to see things a little bit differently. And I pray that you would do that work in us today, that we would see you a little bit differently, that we would trust you a bit more fully and that you would teach us to walk with you. You are a generous, loving God. And we see it. We see it around us. So we thank you for your generosity. We say, teach us to release our grip on the things that we grasp and strive for. That we might rest in your embrace, in your loving arms for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would. You got that all licked? Right? We're like, good. Great. Worry. Done. Right? Can I encourage you to ruminate on that through this week? 
Ruminate on it. Go back and look at that passage again. Let Jesus continue to speak to you. The places where you're like, no, I can't do that, or this is ridiculous. Pay attention to those places. Pay attention to those places, because those are precisely the places that God is speaking to you, all right, as we learn to walk with him. Now, perhaps you're here, and, and this whole notion of life with God seems foreign to you. Like, I, I, I'm not even sure what I think, but I know I need something new, because doing life on my terms isn't working. Um, and you're looking for that new life. And if you have never made the decision to give your life to Jesus, to come before him in humble repentance and to receive his forgiveness, grace, and life, you can do that today. Our prayer team is gonna be up here. As everybody else is going out, you come up, talk to them, just say, I want Jesus in my life. And they'll lead you through that process that you might know life in him, life of abundance, life of flourishing, life of goodness, because he is a generous God. All right, may you have that life, whether it's new today or it's something you've had for decades. May you walk in his abundant love for you as you go. And God bless you as you walk with him. Thanks for being here. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.